Hi, this is Eliza Jane Schneider, the voice of Dr. Aratia in Final Fantasy Type Zero HD, and you're listening to Final Fantasy Union. Hi everyone and welcome to another special edition of the Final Fantasy Union podcast to celebrate the release of Final Fantasy Type Zero HD. I'm your host Daryl and I'm joined by Dan from Square Enix. Hello. And today we have Eliza Jane Snyder who's the voice of Dr. Horatia. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm doing very well this morning. Excellent. Not morning for you, is it? No, it's not morning for us. Although it's not evening, it's uh, mid-afternoon. It's in the summer, we got sunshine for it's once. It's a pleasant day, yeah. It's actually yeah, not too wow. bad. We're lucky. Yeah, it's kind of like it's. It was a bit cold the last couple of days, so I thought maybe I bring my coat today. Mistake. It was a mistake. To be fair, in the United Kingdom, it's probably best to take yeah. your coat everywhere anyway. You never know. So yeah, Eliza is obviously the voice of Doctor Erasure in Type Zero HD, but she's also been involved in numerous other voice acting roles throughout her career. She played Rebecca Crane in Assassin's Creed, and also has featured quite heavily in the South Park franchise. If you want to find out more about her, I'm just going to plug it right now. You can either go to ElizaJane.com or on Twitter, which is ElizaJane2012. Oh, uh, Facebook is ElizaJane2020. 2020. 2020. Um, but before we actually dive into some questions, I'd like to remind everyone that Final Fantasy Union is part of a podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union, and it's presented by the Gaming Union Network and now Square Enix for these uh, lovely interviews. Thanks, Dan. Sorry, no problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's going to come on the iTunes store, FinalFantasyUnion.com, and YouTube.com forward slash Final Fantasy Union vids. So, before we actually get into anything, like, what are you up to at the moment? Because I think you said beforehand you, you've gone to quite a few different cons and you're speaking at a few different panels. Is there anything you'd, you'd like to share? Oh, well, you know, the big Comic-Con is coming up in San Diego, which I'm lucky enough to live here, uh, and that's in July. So I'll be signing autographs. This is the first year that I've actually decided to go ahead and sign autographs. Um, so that'll happen. And then, uh, oh, GamerCon is always where I, where I hang out at, at Comic-Con. So if you do go to Comic-Con, find GamerCon. It's this building where all the real gamers hang out and they play games the whole time. And it's really awesome. And I try to bring people like Fred Tatashore and other people. Like maybe I'll try to bring Robbie Damon over there if, he's, if he comes down or Eric Bauza. I don't know if you guys know him. But yeah, those those guys, we all try to hang out there with our with our real fan base, you know, and try to stay away from some of the more scary, super huge corporate stuff going on at Comic-Con. Yeah, does that mean that you, you're an avid gamer yourself? Do you try and get to play games with everyone while you're there? You know, wouldn't that be nice? Actually, that's the one time of year that I actually get to play games because I have a three-year-old. Oh, well, I, I would say congratulations, but I, I guess I'm three years too late say that oh no every day deserves a congratulations when you survive with a three-year-old <laughs> like last night i got kicked in the head like maybe five times with both feet because Ooh. he's sick and he wants mommy to stay with him and and then he kicks me in the head it's so sweet oh he's telling you that he wants to be a professional wrestler when he grows up yeah drop kick that's that's pretty hardcore yeah and you know jewish and japanese are underrepresented in wrestling i have to say 
So after such a successful career, uh, what does it mean to add a Final Fantasy character to your list of credits? Oh, I love, I love, you know what I love the most about Final Fantasy is the, the, the players themselves, like their dedication and, and enthusiasm. And when they reach out to me, it makes me really happy. And I, I just love the art and the whole world. It's, it's great. I, I, very proud of that one relative to the others. Cool. So we and we've also got a question on, along that kind of line from Alex Gerth Clark, who asks, "What did you like most about Doctor Horatia or playing Doctor Horatia?" Well, she's really sexy and just she's just so sort of imperious and calm and soft-spoken. And I I am a linguist, so I love listening to the Japanese and really trying to match it, especially because you know. My mother-in-law's Japanese, and I get to listen to that all the time. And I'm I'm a phonetic fanatic. I just love listening to the different sounds, and so it's a particularly fun challenge for me doing ADR when you're um, trying to match the timing of uh, Japanese. And I love how she dresses. I actually used to dress like that. <laughs> I, I looked a lot like Arisio when I used to to tour with my band around the Caribbean. That must give you, especially from a linguistic side, that must give you a, a kind of a unique perspective, especially when you're doing uh, dubs from Japanese games. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I actually get hired a lot to uh, coach other actors when they're trying to put on accents or whatever. So did you have input on the script then? I would guess if you saw, like, the, if you knew the Japanese and you're like, oh, well, maybe, you know, have a bit more input saying, oh, maybe it would better if we presented the English version like this or that. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because my role as a dialect coach is very different from my role as, uh, as an actress. You know, as an actor, pretty much you want to keep your mouth shut unless they ask you or unless you can sense that they really don't know in the booth. You know, but when you're in the booth as a dialect coach or a director, you get to talk as much as you want, you know, so it's it's an interesting balance, you know, and I've always sort of had that struggle because I'm a writer, I'm a playwright and I'm a political activist. And so being an actor is actually quite a challenge for me because you really do have to keep your mouth shut. You're basically just a puppet and you're making somebody else's script work. And so any ideas you may or may not have about said script need to be kept to yourself. I've found. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess. Yeah. Cause you said, yeah, like you say, you basically have to shut off the creative side of your brain, right? And and become someone, literally become someone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is fun. And I really do enjoy that. Like, because my brain goes a little too fast for me sometimes. and I have to saddle it up and ride it like a wild pony. So it's always fun to just throw that whole side out and just be somebody else for a while. So, I mean, did you get to see what a Dr. Horatia looked like before you were cast? And if so, is that something that um, kind of drew you to her? No, actually. I, I Very often when you're at the level that I'm at in this business, you don't see the art and you don't really get the context of the joke or you, you don't get the script or anything ahead of time. It was funny because when I first started working on South Park, they hired me and I was like, yeah, just... Uh, Email me the scripts. I was at ICM at the time, which is an agency. Now I'm with William Morris. But with ICM, I was just used to them delivering scripts to my doorstep. And I was like, okay, yeah, just send me the script the day before. And I thought I was being really lenient because usually you get your script like a week before for on-camera stuff, which is what I was sort of transitioning from when I started doing South Park. And they, like... Apparently, they, they just assumed from that point on that I was going to be the biggest diva pain in the ass it ever worked with. Because <laughs> I wanted a script. She wants a script. What? So then, you know, after about a week, I was like, really, really, you don't have to send a script. I'm fine. 
<laughs> yeah, as <laughs> for however you want to work, it's fine. Cool. So, um, Doctor Horatio is often referred to as Mother by the in-game cast. Have you had a chance to meet any of you know the fellow cast members who played the other characters in Final Fantasy Type Zero HD? Yeah, I actually work with Robbie Damon in uh, Breadwinners. I think it is. Yeah, Breadwinners. He's one of the main characters on that show. It's Nickelodeon, and we work together uh, several times over the last few months. I love that guy. Did you know he can ride a horse? I did not. No. But we're interviewing him, hopefully, in the upcoming future, so we can ask him about that. <laughs> about horse riding. So, I mean, keeping on with the, the mother theme, uh, and obviously mothers don't like to pick favourites, but um, if you had to choose three of the characters that you can send into battle, do you, do you have any idea who you might send in, or is that too difficult for you to pick? I, it's too difficult for me to say. You can't ask a mother. It's like Sophie's choice. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think, well, actually, Dal, who would you pick? Who's your, who's your main three? My main three are King... Because he's kind of, he's got the leader kind of role. I like I like Jack because he just does a load of damage, and then I usually take someone else, maybe like nine. He's got a bit of an, an attitude. Hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. How about you? Um. Usually, I, I think tactically. So I got I got a close combat arranged and a support. So it's eight, Cater, and Deuce. That's far too methodical. I I don't like that. <laughs> and they're all they're all cool characters as well. They're actually yeah, my, three of my favorites. So um, go back to the questions. Derwin Hughes asks, "Are you a mother yourself?" Yes, I am. Great, that was an idiot. I have a three-year-old, and his name is Raiden, which is actually the Japanese god of thunder and lightning. So it's sort of like naming your kid Thor in Japan. He's also a very popular Mortal Kombat character. And Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, and a ninja. A cyborg ninja. No, Little did points. I know when we named him of his secret powers. Yeah, maybe he should go into pro wrestling. <laughs> and make his costume quite easy to design. Just have like, a lot of lightning bolts. Around. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you want to get into that, I'm sure he would appreciate a costume like that. And right now, <laughs> you'd have to use a lot less fabric than you would, you know, in the future. So get on that. That's true. Although he, he might have to have quite a few costume updates because he's going to grow quite Yeah, he's, he's great. On Christmas morning, he woke up and the first thing he said was, What is the Ewok's favorite drink? And I said, uh, I don't know. And he said, I think it's tree sap. Yummy. It's logical. That's a logical answer. Yeah, he actually. has very deep thoughts. And then he asked, does Darth Vader have to pay the stormtroopers, which I had to post to my site to find <laughs> out from my fan base, did he or not? And what was the answer? Well, apparently Django Fett created a bunch of clones, brainwashed clones, who are willing to work for free for, for Mr. Vader. And now we know. It's good labor. <laughs> yeah. So for the future, yeah, you just get clones to do all your dirty work. Yes, exactly. Because they don't cost anything. Exactly. Good to know. Cool. So um, aside from voice acting, a big part of your career has focused on language in general, which I guess we've touched upon already. Are you able to tell us how you got started and all that? Well, let's see. My father was into dialects and accents. My father was my drama teacher at the School of the Arts High School, Performing Arts High School in New York. So um, I had to audition in front of committee. <laughs> but he did a lot. Weird? Yeah, I had to audition in front of everybody. One time I had to audition for the play in front of everybody else who was auditioning for the same role, and they all voted on it. But I still got it. Oh, the cake is... But they can steal all your ideas. That's not really fair, is it? What do you What do you mean by that? Like, if if you're like auditioning in front of uh, other people who are also auditioning, then they'd be like, "Oh, I like what she did there. I'm going to do something similar." Yeah, I guess. But to, you know, I mean, 
nobody does it like the original, right? That that's a really good way to shoot yourself in the foot, especially like if you're prepping for an audition in a in a room full of other people. As an actor, it's always smarter not to hear anything that they have to say because you're not mm. going to do their choice as well as they are because it's instinctual for them. You know what I mean? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So, um, but but then, so what I did was when I was at UCLA, I uh, I was on a show called Beekman's World. It was a kids' show, and it showed in the UK as well. It's still showing all over South America. I keep getting all these fan letters from Chile and Brazil and Finland, um, which is not in South America. I know Finland is not in South America, <laughs> but. Uh, I I decided I wanted to study dialects, so I bought a converted ambulance and I drove across America in it ten times with a dat man recording people. Um, so I recorded. I, I drove seventeen thousand miles on that first trip, and then over the next decade, I crisscrossed the UK and the trains and Ireland and Scotland. Um, right, Scotland is part of the UK. I know that too. <laughs> Oh, don't whoa, whoa, careful that you don't say that to a Scottish person. Right? They might be they get a bit touchy on you gotta that. Be careful! You got to be careful. Um, and uh, what? Australia, New Zealand. I actually went around New Zealand with a, a broken arm and a black eye, and Australia because I'd rolled down the side of a mountain there where they filmed Lord of the Rings, those mountains in Whangarei, in the North Island of New Zealand. I think that's where they filmed it. Anyways, I. Uh, I got in an accident there, but I couldn't. I couldn't uh, replace my ticket. I walked up to the Qantas counter, and they were like, "Oh, that's like lose it or use it, use it or lose it ticket." Right after I got out of the New Zealand hospital, where I was trying to find my dat recorder when we were on the side of the mountain, because I was like, "They're going to have great accents in the hospital." <laughs> and the guy was like, "Geez, that's dollars of morphine up your arm, you know." So they have free healthcare in New Zealand if you if you have accident on the freeway the petrol tax i mean i'm just saying if you're gonna almost kill yourself that's a really good place to do it new zealand that's i'll, be, I'll bear that in mind so i went to south africa and then i went to and then i started the asian uh dialects because i love where tonal languages intersect with uh dialects and accents like in where music and language intersects i'm just all about sounds i'm, I'm a suzuki violinist so i sort of apply those principles to everything when i teach people accents or when i learn them and and I wanted to, after I got all the places where English is a first language, like in person, where it was unmitigated by travel and, and, you know, you know how like when you go to a new place, you start talking differently. I mean, that's how accents are developed, right? So um, I wanted to get these people when they were still in their hometowns and their dialects were pure. And, and so then I went to the, where did I go? I went to Philippines and Korea and Hong Kong. And I was headed to Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam when I got pregnant. And I didn't want to be pregnant in areas where they had malaria at the time because that could give you a baby with 10 heads. So Yeah, not exactly what you'd want to tell your parents. Yeah, so... That was it. It sounds like you've you're well versed in travel. Um, did you do your uh, like your voice acting work at the same time? Yeah. So like I was coaching a, a German actor to sound Russian for a film in the Philippines, and they had a big uh, film studio there, and uh, I would record Assassin's Creed from that studio like in the middle of the night. You know, it was great because my work schedules didn't conflict with each other. You know, because it's the other side of the world, so. 
pretty extreme. Yeah, and then like I remember when I was touring the Caribbean, I, I, I used the money that I made as a fiddle player in a band to tour around the Caribbean because there's so many different dialects in the Caribbean. You know, because not only do you have all the, like the the native Carib culture and the like, the Arawaks, which there are very few of. But you have like the the influence of the four different sort of European imperialist conquests. There's the Dutch, the Spanish, the French, and the um, uh, English. You know, so depending on where you go, you get all these wild phonemes, and it's really cool. So, so I went around there, and I got paid to go around there by being a, a musician. And my guitarist had this 56 foot trimaran. We we traveled around in and toured. And then, so I would use that money to like fund my research habit. And then I would record my MP3s and my auditions from the boat. <laughs> and I'd MP3 them to William Morris. And uh, it's always a challenge not to get my recording equipment wet, but that was it. Dang, yeah. And you got to carry around with you as well in all these places. Well, I mean, the boat was big enough where I could stash it, you know. Like, because we had our gear, too. We had our amplifiers and our... Oh, yeah, yeah, for your band. Yeah, we had our pedals and whatnot. So, you know, there there was definitely a place in the boat to stash that stuff. I mean, my guitarist had a science fiction novel collection taking up the entire stern <laughs> cabin. <laughs> wow. Just lined with books. He had a great life. So I saw recently that you actually had the chance to speak to the originator of the Klingon language. Uh, is that is that alluding to potentially roles as a Klingon voice actor? Oh, I wish. You know, I actually worked with Robert Easton, who played the Klingon judge. So I picked up all the, literally the cassette tapes of the Klingon language that this guy had developed. So when uh, my friend Larry, who who's, he's a Star Trek, Larry Nemesik, I think his last name is, he's going to be at Comic-Con. He's a Star Trek guy. I hooked up with him a few months ago, and he... I don't mean hooked up in whatever, you know, colloquial sense, but we just connected mm-hmm. at, a, at a conference and, and he emailed. I mean, we just met each other through email and, um, you know, I, I've actually been so shy. I have yet to tell him what a fan I am of, of him and what he does. But my dream job would be creating a fictional language like Romulan or Na'avi or something, you know, and, and teaching that for a film for some, you know hypothetical alien community cool well on the topic of uh, fictional languages have you ever studied the language of albed which is a famous final fantasy language from final fantasy 10 no i haven't been able to study that yet dang i know like i said a lot of my uh, hobbies have been um uh truncated for the time being as i raise my three and a half year old i mean honestly he even has a huge problem with my violin i barely get a chance to play the thing because he's got violin sibling rivalry so i i I literally have like at most 20 to 30 minutes a day to do what i used to spend all day doing because i'm not bitter i i really do no no i guess you get another unparalleled experience raising raising a child i mean it's yeah that's you know, one of, from what I hear, I don't have any kids, but I hear it's one of life's, you know, greatest pleasures. Oh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it's what I've been doing for the last three or four years. But it's not going to be what I'm doing 10 years from now as much, you know. So I can definitely get my geek on and investigate all of these languages at that point. So Elbed's definitely being put on the bucket list for languages to study. Oh, yeah, definitely. Send me... um text it or, or type it into the Skype so that I can uh, look it up. And maybe in a future Final Fantasy game, you might get to make up your own language for one. <gasps> that would be awesome. Yeah. Do you know who made up that language that you're talking about? Oh, I've no, I guess, 
Oh, it would have been probably someone in Japan. Yeah, it would have been someone on a Japanese development team. Um, now that's even more interesting to me. Like, what a Japanese person would come up with for that? Yeah, because it's also weird. Because I guess in the Japanese version of the game, they don't they don't sound the same as in the Western version, or do they? I actually don't know. I don't know how it works in Japanese because basically the language works by replacing letters. Um, so they mix all the letters round, um, and you have to get a cipher that works for English. But I don't know how it works in the other languages. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, because they, and it's it's not just written as well because it's, you know, obviously it's audible in in Final Fantasy X, which is actually yeah. another weird one because it was the first Final Fantasy to have voice like, acting. Right, guys, we're gonna we're not even gonna do voice acting for the first time. We're gonna make up a language and speak it. Yeah, isn't that great? You know what I love the most about Klingon though is the velarized fricatives. Velarized fricatives. The and Klingon has the same number of velarized fricatives. As the Western Chupik Alaskan tribe, who I went personally to record. Coincidence? I think not. I'm just saying. That's just just gone way over my head. (laughs) It's a theory that I think we should look into. Yeah. Yeah. The bottom line is. Yeah, they have. We've just been given a scoop. And and they have like three different. The other fricative is like from the back of your throat. It's like what you think of when you think of like like the Jewish sound for like Hanukkah or something. Velarized fricatives are fascinating to me because, you know, we don't really have a lot of those in English. No, but I can say that we now have a lot of people that are listening to this that are going to go and research this <laughs> and they will be more familiar with it. <laughs> I hope I hope I see velarized fricatives in my tweets. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> How do you write that? How do you write velarized fricative? V-E-L-A-R. <laughs> what? How would you write saying it? Yeah, I didn't like, you know, the the, Oh, how, how would you write it out phonetically? Um, well, you know, honestly, I usually use the Cyrillic, but like I said, there's three different ways to do it. So I usually just demonstrate for people if I'm trying to teach them something. Um, I'm a little bit more auditory than I am visual, but I'm certain that in the International Phonetic Alphabet, there is a specific symbol for each velar as fricative. I usually use the International Phonetic Alphabet, but I, I'm usually using it for people who are trying to, quote, lose their accent or gain a standard American or standard British accent. So I use the ones that pertain specifically to general American and standard British. Although we should say that there is no such thing as a standard British accent. Thank you. You're absolutely <laughs> correct, sir. Isn't that annoying? The Queen would have <laughs> you think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, the Queen would behead us if we agreed to that. Oh, yeah, right? But I mean, the Queen's English, what is that? I actually heard a recording of King George from like around, what was it? It's in a play that I'm coaching. I'm coaching a guy to sound like Freud, which was, uh, when did he die? He was born in 18, so I have to look it up again. But anyways, it was a while ago. It was during the war. It was the 1940s. Um, so it was a recording of King George. And the way he modified his short A sounds to a practically like a eh, as in pet, like, you know, thank you. You know, that, that sort of posh sound just. Yeah, but so different from what, you know, Americans think of as being standard RP or whatever. It's all it's all perspective. It's all it's all it's completely subjective, which is why even if you do have an expert who knows what they're talking about, coaching people on the dialects, the people listening aren't, aren't going to believe it if they have like a relative who they believe is, you know, the epitome of whatever this region is supposed to sound like because it's their reference point, right? Yeah, so. and I guess languages change so frequently as well. Yeah, so if you're saying you're from New York and you don't sound like my aunt Ida, 
was from the Lower East Side. <laughs> and instead you sound like, you know, Guido from the Bronx or whatever. You know, then, uh, you know, they're not going to think you're authentic no matter what you do. Well, I think that's a pretty good point to wrap up, actually. I know that you've got a dash off as well, but thanks for taking so much time to speak to us. Oh, my pleasure. And yeah, feel free to tweet at me or Facebook message me. I love hearing from, from people playing the game. And uh, my favorite comment ever, actually, from a fan was a nine-year-old who just came up and said, I died with you. How do you respond to that? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that's... I don't want to say good job because they died. No, thank you. <laughs> right on. It was nice speaking with you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye.